one, episode 13, Concert Interruptus. The Gilmore Girls are hosting the town rummage sale. They're also hosting the Mean Girls of Chilton, Paris, Madeline, and Louise. When luck takes them all to see the Bengals in NYC, some harsh realities are learned. And remember kids, stay sexy and don't get murdered. Welcome to Stars Hollow. I'm your host, Rachel Foss. With me today is my friend, Laura Grace. I'm very excited to have her on. I've mentioned her in a past episode because actually one of the last things I did before quarantine was go to a Gilmore Girls trivia, which we got second place. And we only lost first place because of one detail. And Laura, we will talk about it in this episode. But Laura Grace, I am so excited to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. The question that Laura and I got wrong. Oh, we're ripping the band-aid off, aren't we? Let's just get it out in the open, y'all. It's the reason why I had you on this very specific episode, because the question was, what seat did the girls have when they went to see the Bengals? And what's the answer, everybody? Ninth row aisle, and only one group got it right. And I swear to God, I I'm seeking my revenge on them because they're out there somewhere. They're out there somewhere, and uh, they took the first place position from us because of that one answer. And I'm never gonna be okay about it. No, I'm, I'm still salty years after the fact. We remembered Howard. We remember that guy. But uh... you better believe I'll never forget again. So Laura Grace, she is a very talented person. She's burlesque performer. She does all kinds of performances online right now. Um, I know you've been doing a lot of Zooming the Movies, which has been pretty popular during quarantine. Can you tell us about some things you have coming up in the next couple months for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Trying to keep as busy as possible so that my extroverted brain doesn't slowly explode. So I've been doing a lot of script readings with um, Kevin Pollock's Zooming the Movies group on Facebook. So a really wonderful community of local actors and some non-local actors too. I've met folks from all over the country and globally recently. Uh, and we transcribe movie scripts, which is so fun to, to revisit some of our favorite movies. And people get really into reading them and pulling out things out of their closets for last minute cosplays for the characters even though it's we just do them live on zoom on facebook and uh so very excited the mummy which is we'll talk about later i'm sure because we have very strong feelings about the mummy oh yes but it's been great and uh the uh, burlesque company the nerdlesque company that i perform with crescent moon nerdlesque is doing a virtual show at the end of april on the 29th which i believe is a friday uh, but i'll have to double check and uh it's called star crazy an intergalactic burlesque adventure and I'm debuting a brand new act. Uh, I perform under the stage name Ali Dente. She's she's never overdone. She's Ali Dente. I, <laughs> I love so Laura and I actually met through the internet through a group we're both a part of. And so before we knew each other in real life and before we met, I actually already knew who she was because I came across some of her cosplay and she is beautiful and talented and so cool and the nerdy, chic goddess that everyone should follow so where can our listeners check out these upcoming things for zooming the movies and your upcoming burlesque performance so first of all thank you <laughs> where did i get you um 
burlesque persona Ali Dente does have her own Facebook page. I don't post all that often because I'm bad at remembering to post things, but I do post about upcoming shows mostly. Um, and then I'm on Instagram as well, which is I think Ali.Dente or Ali underscore Dente. And then I'm newly on TikTok as well, which has been a wonderful pandemic discovery and alarming amount of time spent on TikTok. So I'm Ali.Dente on TikTok as well. Crescent Moon Nerdlesque has a website as well. But Kevin Pollock's assuming the movies is actually a public Facebook group. So if you ask to join it, you can watch. They'll stream live right in that group. So yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad you've been able to keep yourself busy doing all these really cool, creative things. But in your downtime, have you been enjoying anything? Anything on Netflix? The Oscars are coming up. Have you enjoyed any of the new films that are up? I'm going to be honest. I don't know what's nominated for the Oscars. <laughs> I, uh, I've watched a lot of shows over the last year, but I've also been trying to make an actionable effort to find hobbies and things to do that aren't necessarily watching things as well so I've taken up cross stitching Dame Judi Dench when she's on set she sits and she cross stitches pretty patterns that have like swear words in them and stuff of course she does yeah so I started doing that which is really cathartic and I bought a pair of roller skates and I've started mermaid swimming which is really fun but I have watched a lot of shows okay I have to pause you right there because you are now the fourth person the fourth woman that I know that has bought roller skates in the past couple months what is this new roller skate trend that apparently i am not knowing about it's only come up because i've, I've had so many friends of mine post that they have bought roller skates is there something i'm missing well it's something i've wanted to do for a really long time because i've always thought in my head that i would be really good at roller derby and i used to be a figure skater for like 10 years uh, i'm actually surprised you are not in roller derby because you do seem like someone well a lot of my burlesque friends are in roller derby yeah because We enjoy wearing fishnets and having an outlet for our internal aggression. It's kind of like a resurgence of the retro vibes. And I was like, you know what? Now's the time. So I found a really cute pair of pink rainbow roller skates that look like something out of Xanadu. And my ankles are screaming in agony. But little by little, I'm rebuilding that muscle memory, like down to the end of the block and back every day. It's great exercise. And I think it's part of it, too, is that we're stuck inside. So it's nice having a reason to go outside and do something physical. But it's also like a lot of us can't really go to gyms right now or are having a hard time finding ways to stay fit. And so it's a way to make exercise during a pandemic entertaining because you feel real cute. Oh my God, those are amazing. Wait, I'm taking a picture. So everyone can see. Those are incredible. If you are ready, we can get started on this episode. Yes, let's do it. Well, the name of this episode is Kittens in the Toilet. Just kidding. This is season one, episode 13, Concert Interruptus, written by... Amy Sherman Palladino, and Elaine Arada. Now, I read that this episode title was alluding to the term coitus interruptus, which is a fancy way of saying the pullout method. And if that's true, wow. Uh, I guess we could layer that meaning in this episode for a number of reasons, I guess. I'm still laughing at kittens in the toilet. (laughs) 
This episode opens with Rory and Lorelai in Lorelai's bedroom scavenging through the closet because they are running the town rummage sale. Rory is encouraging Lorelai to get rid of some of her more interesting items, but Lorelai is very against this idea. Not even the 80s halter with tassels. Lorelai's fashion genuinely upsets me in this episode. Rhinestone bandanas, tie-dye, American flag outfit, especially nowadays, that's a big no for me. Yeah, there's a visceral response I have to, but tie-dye I can get behind. I know tie-dye is back in fashion, but honestly, it's not something I liked back then when it was in fashion. And it's like, it's that other thing where if I liked it when I was young or when it was around when I was young, it's something that I associate with being a kid. And I can't help but on think just like elementary school tie-dye. But, I mean, even in this closet, we can see a tie-dye dress hanging on the door. You don't need a halter zebra top with tassels. I forgot that it was zebra. And, I mean, I, I believe in people wearing what makes them feel good. I really, really do. I just want this to be a PSA to the Gen Z generation that is rehashing our 2000s fashion because it is significant in this episode. Just saying, as a older millennial who went through it the first time, none of us look back and think it was a good idea. There are 0% of millennials that look back at 2000 fashion and think, oh man, I looked really good. We didn't. Again, I want people to wear what makes them feel good, but I also believe in wearing things for yourself and not because it's in trend. And I feel like this episode is a really good example of that. And really the only person that looks good is Rory because she's the most chill in her fashion. And especially like, oh my gosh, if low rise flares come back, I'm going to burn it all to the ground because it is the reason why so many women my age have body dysmorphia. Because in order to fit into those jeans, you had to be thin. And if you weren't, then go fuck yourself. And actually, I read an interview from Amy Sherman Palladino that the biggest thing she had to do during the early seasons is paint out butt cracks in editing because low rise jeans were in fashion and everything was low rise. But low rise don't work on anybody unless you are a pencil. So even on someone like Rory and Lorelai, who are naturally like very small women, they still had to paint out butt cracks in every episode. I will bring the gasoline and the matches be burned into the ground. Rory takes a chunk of Lorelai's clothing out of the closet without looking, but really knowing Lorelai's style, it's probably for the best. Although I do kind of like this white and gray striped top that's sitting on top of this pile. That actually looks kind of cute. Lane and Rory are downstairs organizing all the bags of stuff that people have dropped off so far. Luke comes by and drops off a bag of clothes, rags, and old pots and pans. And I think about this a lot. Who are they reselling those to? It's a very small town. Are they reselling it to each other? Are they just gradually cycling each other's stuff? What do they do with it? Well, Lorelai comes downstairs and calls Rory a Grinch. And fun fact, the word Grinch was actually not widely used in, in the English language before It was popularized by Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas and Jim Carrey's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which came out in November of 2000, would have just come out 
before this episode aired. I don't know if she did that on purpose, but it made it very, very cleverly topical. And it's also really bonkers to think that that's when that movie came out. The sheer amount of words that she uses to say the things she needs to say means that eventually at some point she's going to need to look for new words because she's already used literally every other word in the English language. I know that both Lauren Graham and Scott Patterson quit smoking for this show specifically because of the amount of fast-paced dialogue they had to do, so they figured that they literally needed their lungs to breathe and couldn't keep smoking because of the physical demands of the amount of dialogue they had. Oh my god, you're kidding. Yeah, they kind of like supported each other through quitting smoking because of the amount of like snip snappy dialogue they had. Yeah, there's no way. Even when I do this podcast, I get pretty breathy. Well, are there crackers? Somewhere in the state of Connecticut, but in the Gilmore house? Who wants cheese? Only Lane wants cheese. And Lorelai, in a horrifying turn of events, brings her a plastic-wrapped craft single. Though this is horrible because it's not really cheese. It actually feels quite normal for a 2000s teen snack. I feel like this was before the slow food movement and it kind of changed our perception of food snacks for teens. Like we weren't munching on Baby Bell back then. You want a cheese? Craft single. How how are craft singles the only form of cheese they have in their house? But their their cheese diet is really shit cheese. It's like Velveeta, Cheese Whiz, and Craft Singles. Yeah, because that's right. I mean, when they're making mac and cheese, she's literally ripping up craft singles and throwing them in the bowl. Yeah. And putting <laughs> and putting cheese whiz on cheese popcorn, which is also horrifying. And most importantly, kittens in a toilet poster. Dun, dun, dun. Taylor walks in with a full set of dishes and instructions on what to do with the chipped butter dish. As Taylor walks into the kitchen, Lorelai spots a, here we are, zip-up hoodie, green and dark blue tie-dye, rhinestone Chinese letters, and Lorelai is in love. <laughs> it's, it's on brand. It's so... It's just so bad. We know that this is Rachel's. This is a spoiler, mini spoiler. We do get to meet Rachel later in this season, and it does not look like her. No, it doesn't. She she looks like she just got out of a safari. I mean, she wears like black turtlenecks and, and yeah, and leather. I never thought about that, though. Like, it doesn't really seem like Rachel's style at all, does it? No, I've. it's always kind of bothered me. And, I mean, again, in this episode, look at Rory. Rory is just wearing this cute sweater. She's wearing a cute matching headband. She looks classic. She looks clean. She looks cute. She's not giving in to the crazy new fashion trends that Lorelai is very into. And I get it because, as we know, Lorelai had to cut her teenage self short. So this is just a classic. For lost time. Yeah, making up for lost time. Absolutely. Well, just then, Suki runs in the living room side door with great news. She got four tickets from a happy client. 
after making them the perfect volcano wedding cake. The tickets are for the Bangles popular 80s all-girl rock band at the Pastorella Theater in New York City, which does not exist. Not a real place. In real life, the Bengals at the time actually appeared at the Irving Plaza at 17 Irving Place in Union Square, Manhattan, when they played in New York during their reunion tour. And that was actually in October of 2000. So that would have just happened, you know, a couple of months before this episode was released, which I do, right. again, again, I do think it's interesting. And I wonder if while writing that, Amy was thinking about that. And so when we do get to see the Bengals and their fake past Pastorella Theater, that's supposed to be in New York, the exterior shots are actually on the Warner Brothers Theater set in Burbank, California, and the interior shots are in the Wilshire Ebel Theater in Los Angeles. Which is a really nice theater. Yeah, and you know, I actually thought that was interesting because this place is called the Wilshire Ebel, and the Chilton Cafeteria and the Chilton Dance were shot at the ebel club and i don't know if that's like the same family the same owners i just thought that was really interesting i'm gonna find out throughout the course of this episode i'm gonna research wheelchair (laughs) ebel and find out lorelei says that this special occasion deserves a new outfit and picks up the hot pink sleeveless bodycon dress which they make fun of but is way cuter and way better than literally anything that Lorelai owns. I'm sorry, a cute pink form-fitting dress or a zebra print top with tassels. I just, I feel like I don't need to say anything. That, that choice has kind of written itself. <laughs> well, four tickets, who are they for? Lorelai, Suki, Rory, and Lane. And where are the seats, Laura Grace? Ugh. Ninth row aisle. <laughs> I just, just groaning because I'm still salty about it. Well, now we are at Chilton. Rory's teacher is discussing the upcoming debate for their class. The subject, did Charles I receive a fair trial? What class is this? Because we know that Mrs. Ness teaches history because that happened in episode two. Right. So do we think that this is like a world government class? I don't know that I remember it. I don't think they ever say specifically who Miss Caldecott, what Miss Caldecott teaches. My guess would be world government. It's something I'll have to keep an eye on. I don't recall Miss Caldecott ever coming up again, but we'll have to wait and see. Well, Miss Caldecott is played by Deborah Theaker. Deborah has been an active actress since 1987. She's done roles in well-known shows such as Elf. A bunch of Christopher Guest movies like Best in Show recently had roles on the Netflix series Lady Dynamite and Dead to Me. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. So Charles I, who's Charles I? Charles I was the second son of James VI of Scots and the first of England. He was King of England, King of Scotland, King of Ireland, from March 27th, 1625, until his execution in 1649. If we look on the blackboard behind Miss Caldecott, we see a bunch of stuff with the long parliament. And then it says reform, John Pym, Trenilac, 19 prepositions, grand remittance. And the other side of the blackboard, 
we have the English Civil War, 1642 to 1651. So what are we learning in class today? The Long Parliament was an English parliament which lasted from 1640 until 1660. It followed the fiasco of the Short Parliament, which had convened only three weeks. The 11-year parliamentary absence, which of course took place during the English Civil War. And the reason why they're talking about this is because Charles believed in what is called the divine right of kings, which means he is not subject to any human authority, but could rule as he pleased because it was the will of God. And in 1642, Charles fought the armies of the English and Scottish parliaments in the English Civil War, was defeated in 1645, but still refused to accept any of the demands. He was tried, convicted, and executed on charges of high treason in January of 1649. At his trial, Charles was held responsible for all damage he did to his country and people during the Civil War, including the death of 6% of the British population. He refused to plead, claiming that no court held authority over a monarch because, again, he believed in the divine right of kings and that his authority was from God itself and above the rules and laws of England. He said that the trial was illegal and its power only came from force. The court challenged the idea that a monarch was immune from prosecution by the state, proposing that the king was not a person but an office. And Charles was not present to hear the evidence against him and had no opportunity to question witnesses. So there would be material for both sides of this argument that Miss Caldecott is referencing I knew that this story sounded kind of familiar. I was like, why do I know this? I'm not from Great Britain. It's because in season six of Downton Abbey, when Mr. Mosley becomes a teacher, is the first thing that he teaches. He talks about the Civil War, Charles I, and the Divine Right of Kings. That's how I knew what they were talking about. Anyway, there's your English history for the day, everybody. I had been reading an article about Charles I too about a year ago I was in London and I was at the Tower of London and I got to see like some of the places where he was and some of that took place and it's I'm like that's a really interesting subject for a for a high school debate because now you know we think as as independent theoretically democratic country like saying somebody is above the law because they are ordained by God is kind of a, a silly idea to us but you know, at that time in England, there were people who legitimately believed that and would fight to the death over that idea. So asking high school students to debate this is good for Miss Caldecott. That's a really clever assignment, I think. And I feel like we could compare it to things that have recently been going on in America. Gee, I wonder why it sounds so familiar. And in the British monarchy, because, you know, with everything coming out about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, they talk about not what specific individuals in the family have done to them, but how the firm mm -hmm. has treated them. And the fact that it really is an office and an institution. I love that we're this in-depth about the curriculum of Chilton. Tristan, however, <laughs> would not know this because he's too distracted by Rory's beauty to follow along. And in a horrifying moment, the teacher calls him out and humiliates both Tristan and Rory, which... Although Miss Caldecott does seem cool, that is not a cool teacher moment. But of course, this is Chilton after all. They do not care about human being feelings. They certainly don't. Rory, Madeline, Louise, and Paris are grouped together for this assignment. So we know that throughout this episode, hijinks will ensue. After class, they all make a plan 
Madeline's brother has the measles. Louise's mother is having an affair, and they all just seem okay with that. Interestingly, though, measles were declared to be eliminated in the U.S. by 2000. Not that all cases disappeared, but it would be a very rare thing that Madeline's brother would have the measles in 2001. And I just thought that was interesting. I didn't know the timeline of measles. Does he really have measles? Maybe he's part of the affair. Who knows? (laughs) That's my new conspiracy theory, that he's part of the affair. And of course, we know from previous episodes that Paris's parents are going through a very messy divorce. Or as Paris puts it, my mother is having the entire place redone. She wants all evidence of my father out of there. So unless you want to sit on no furniture while watching three Harvey Firestein impersonators rip up the carpet and paint everything a ridiculous shade of white and call it Angel's Kiss, we're going to have to find somebody else's house to go. There's no way that Liza Wilde can be a smoker either because I could barely get through that pair. I don't think she is, but also that sounds like a good time. Yeah, I agree. So Harvey Firestein is an actor and playwright. He's known for his work as a public commenter and writer of gay issues and his theater work with the Torch Song trilogy for which he won two Tony Awards. And if you don't recognize him from that, you may recognize him as Robin Williams' brother in Mrs. Doubtfire or as the voice of Yao in Disney's animated 1998 film Mulan. I also really enjoy him as Edna Turnblad, Tracy Turnblad's mom in Hairspray. I always forget that he's Yao in Mulan and then I remember it and then it just brings me so much joy. But of course, as much as I love Paris as a character, sadly, this means that Paris is most likely referencing Mr. Firestein's queerness and not in a positive light. But also, more importantly, what we need to understand is that that line was written by someone. Anyway, they decide to meet at Rory's house. Tristan comes over to interrupt and flirt with Paris, but of course we all know that he's just doing it to get at Rory since he purposefully leaves Rory out of his goodbye. Poor sweet deluded Tristan. Louise says, Tristan suddenly has very big eyes for you, Grandma. Louise is referencing the popular story, The Little Riding Hood, the famous fairy tale about a young girl and a big bad wolf. Back in Stars Hollow, Rory and Lane are walking to Kim's Antiques. What's confusing about this scene, again, this should be either late January or February. But it is perfectly green. And they are wearing light spring jackets and Lane is wearing thick mittens. And I just don't understand what's happening. And the layout of Stars Hollow also makes no sense to me. The geographical layout. And I think that It's definitely like a bubble that surrounds the town and Taylor controls the weather. Um, (laughs) That's what I have not heard before, but I love that. Taylor would totally be like, as of this day, it's going to be spring weather so that the grass can be green for Easter when they hide all the eggs. That is so funny. Rory is telling Lane about the school project and Lane says, all three of them, huh? Double, double, toil and trouble. With the pricking of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. You're really doing well in that Shakespeare class, aren't you? Rory is comparing Paris, Madeline, and Louise to the three witches from Shakespeare's Macbeth. Also, we will hear that last line again in this show at least one more time. 
in the fall episode of the revival during the trippy life and death brigade scene. I do think it's interesting here that Lane is trying to bargain with herself on her spiritual lie punishment. And this is a question I have for you. Like, what do you think? Do you think that Lane is being sarcastic? Or do you think that at this point in Lane's life, because she is only 15, 16 years old, that she is actually following the Seventh-day Adventist teaching and believes in it and believes in purgatory because it is what she has grown up with? Or do you think that she's like making fun of her own life situation? I've actually thought about this a lot because I I think Lane's a really interesting and underrated character. I I grew up in a Christian household and I, I stopped following and going to church when I was, you know, a young teenager. And so around the time, same time that Lane would have started. Uh, and of course, Lane was already on her journey to rock and roll. I think that, and I don't know a lot about Seventh-day Adventist teachings. The impression I get from the writing and the way Keiko Jaina portrays Lane in this episode is that of not necessarily believing in, in that, but the guilt of doing anything outside of it, dealing with the the leftover guilt from that kind of like the fear of what will happen to them if they don't, I think controls a lot of Lane's decisions. So I think it's mostly fear and guilt based where that comes from. I definitely understand that. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't grow up in a super Christian household. I actually became more Christian when I was in high school. And then in college. But then once I got to college, I was like, wait a minute, there's a lot of things I've learned about life and they don't quite match up with how the Christian world sees things. And I, I was at a very nice church where we would love and accept gay people and we would love and accept people who had sex before marriage. And that wasn't the issue, but it was still that quiet underlining thing of, but you shouldn't. And it just didn't match up to the people I was meeting at college. And I'm like, I can't, I just can't imagine why God would leave this person out? Why do I have these feelings? Like, and why do I have these sexual urges if God didn't want me to have them? Like, it, like you're telling me that nothing can separate me from God's love, but then you're also telling me that this doesn't quite fit what God wants. And that just didn't work for me. And that's when I was finally starting to be like, well, that they can't be the same thing together. It, yeah. So you either have to change the story or this isn't right. So, um, but it's still all the time, like, like, sometimes I think, oh, I forgot to thank God for this. Like, every once in a while, I, I feel that way. Like, I don't want God to think I'm not thankful because that was so pressed upon me. Like, you always got to thank God for the things that you have because he's always listening. You know, it's that kind of thing. Like, he's always listening. He's always watching everything you do. In this case, it's Mrs. Kim. Because right. Because she's literally watching everything you do. <laughs> but, but, I mean, especially for Lane, it's almost like Mrs. Kim is her God. Like, she controls the God in the house. She feels immense guilt for doing things that she knows her mother wouldn't approve of, but uh, but the impact of it is that, you know, her mother was very, very worried about her. And she kind of is Lane's god in a way, which is a funny way of thinking about that. Let's walk inside Kim's Antiques. We walk in and Lane and Rory make a plan to fib a little bit to Mrs. Kim so that Lane can go to the Bengals concert. Mrs. Kim just made a sale so they are going to strike while the iron is hot. Mrs. Kim just sold an alleged original Queen Anne chair, which, mm, so first off, 
The Queen Anne furniture style was popularized between the 1720s to the 1760s, which was ironically after the reign of Queen Anne. And second of all, I know what Queen Anne style furniture looks like. I'm not a furniture expert. If there are any listeners out there who is an expert in Queen Anne furniture, feel free to comment me, message me on Instagram about this. But I know enough about design and style to know what Queen Anne chairs look like. And that is not a Queen Anne chair. It is way too modern looking. No way it is that perfect looking after 300 years. Also, an original 18th century Queen Anne chair can run anywhere between $1,500 to $6,000 or more, depending on the quality and condition. But she says to this guy, everything's original, everything's old. I'll write you a letter to say that, which means she doesn't have a letter. Is Mrs. Kim an antique swindler? You know, she could be a crime boss. (laughs) Um, I would believe it. So the customer in this scene is played by Jeffrey Hutchinson. He's been acting since 1983. One of his more recent roles was in 2014. He played Tim Gemmerstring on Parks and Recreation. Oh, no way. Lane is asking Mrs. Kim about going to the faux play, a.k.a. concert tomorrow. Since Rory was at Chilton, we assume today is Friday, and so we assume tomorrow is Saturday. But Mrs. Kim says tomorrow is church. Now, I thought this was strange, so I looked it up. We know that Mrs. Kim is a Seventh-day Adventist. And when I looked it up, I found out that actually Seventh-day Adventists go to church on Saturdays and not Sunday, which I I did not know that before, but now I know. Oh, I didn't know that either. Also, I want to give a special shout out to Mrs. Kim in this episode because she looks really cute in this scene. I really love her hair. And Mrs. Kim's style and especially her hairstyle changes a lot throughout this show, like from episode to episode. I feel like more than any other character. And I really like her in this episode. I think she looks super cute and very well put together. Lane's flustered attempt at convincing Mrs. Kim fails, and she promises to try again later. Rory leaves and heads over to Luke's diner. While walking in, Rory spots a poster for the rummage sale, and we see that the rummage sale is specifically raising money for the old Muddy Waters River Bridge. And I have to wonder if Amy wrote this in to name the bridge after legendary blues musician muddy waters oh i don't know i bet she did who knows that's a really good thought rory is teasing luke because she knows he hates participating in town events what i find interesting is that luke says that rory has to wait for coffee and i notice that this happens a lot in a place like luke's i feel like there should always be coffee brewing you can look at his coffee pot station it's right behind him like it's in this episode you can see it And he has one of the industrial ones where you put the coffee pot and you brew the coffee. And there's two places for him to put two extra coffee pots on warmers on the top. And there's two brewing stations, which means he has the opportunity to have four coffee pots at one time. And it just because of how often it happens, I just find that really weird. Maybe two of them are decaf 
and there's only two pots of regular coffee, but most people drink regular coffee, so he just runs out of coffee quicker because he doesn't know how to portion out regular for decaf, because Luke, please, everyone in this town drinks regular. <laughs> Nobody in Stars Hollow drinks decaf. I also noticed that there's a really cool-looking, old-timey, antique radio on top of the mug shelf right above Luke in this scene, and it's, it's just a fun observation. Lorelai walks in looking completely bananas in a leopard cowboy hat and that tie-dye zip-up hoodie. <sighs> oh, girl. Rory agrees with us and calls Lorelai Annie Oakley. Annie Oakley was an American sharpshooter and exhibition shooter. She won shooting matches while still a teenager. She later joined Buffalo Bill's Wild West show that ran during the late 19th century and early 20th century. She became an international star for her shooting and while performing would wear a Western style outfit, including a cowboy hat. Uh, also the inspiration for the popular Broadway musical, Annie Get Your Gun. Yes, very good point. Now, I love Luke. I'm generally a pretty big Luke supporter, but I, I can't support him in this moment. And I understand that Luke is reacting to a trauma response to this sweatshirt that Lorelai is wearing, because as we know, it is Rachel's sweatshirt. Obviously, it was a bad breakup. He has strong feelings about it. But the thing is, this is a self-inflicted trauma response that Luke has done to himself. And also, just because you have trauma, it does not give you the right to abuse other people. That's a blanket statement. I'm not a psychiatrist. I understand and I empathize with people who have those things. And I understand and empathize why you have those reactions. But it does not make it okay. It does not allow you to abuse other people because you were abused. Okay, anyway. Now, this is definitely one of Luke's major character flaws throughout the show. <laughs> but we also know that Luke is aware. He knows it's his big flaw. Not in a gaslighting way. It's not when someone says, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again and do it, does it again. He genuinely doesn't like that he does this. But it is one of his major flaws. He knows he's doing it and doesn't want to do it again and checks himself before he wrecks himself. <laughs> I agree. It's, it's definitely part of his personality that specifically happens when he loses someone he loves. So his dad, his girlfriends, etc. One of those dudes who has a complex about fear of being alone because he thinks everyone's going to leave him. And I get why. He lost both of his parents at a young age. Again, I empathize with where his trauma comes from, but I do not excuse his trauma response. Well, now they're back at the Gilmore Girls' house, and the house is filled to the brim with junk now. Suki does a classic campy fall slapstick fall into the trash and... Big ol' eye roll, because listeners know how I feel about the early Suki campy slapstick. I just like their sign outside their house. Their sign outside their house says, like, nothing alive or gross, please. Rory comes down the stairs to see Lorelai pulling Suki out of said mess and says, geez, this stuff is like tribbles. Rory is referencing a Star Trek episode called The Trouble with Tribbles, which featured small, furry little creatures that reproduced at an alarming rate and eventually took over the USS Enterprise. 
Lorelai is also wearing a different rhinestone bandana than the first scene, which means she has multiple rhinestone bandanas. So one of my favorite moments in this episode is right here when Suki holds up two porcelain squirrels and says, what should we do with them? And Lorelai says, set them free. Miss Patty comes in with her old boom boom dancing drums that she danced on at the Coba Cabana in 1969, which is just what makes Miss Patty so freaking cool. I'm so glad I had all that sex. So a few things I want to mention here. The Copa Cabana, the original Copa Cabana, was a famous nightclub in New York City, opened in 1940 at 10th East and 60th Street. It was the place to see top performers of that time, like anybody famous was there. The club had a Brazilian decor and Latin-themed orchestra, Their showgirls wore bananas on their heads in the style of Carmen Miranda, who also appeared in the 1947 film Copacabana. So we assume that Miss Patty was one of the famed Copa girls in 1969, which is why she was on these drums. So just picture Miss Patty in a head wrap covered in fruit, banana earrings, wearing a tie front bikini. I mean, legendary. You can also see the Copacabana feature in another ASP show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Now, Maisel hasn't performed there yet, but she does go to the Copacabana in the show and recently was also featured in the film One Night in Miami. The Copa still exists, but has changed locations several times. It's not the same thing. It is also currently closed and has been closed since 2020 during the COVID-19 pandemic. And... I cannot believe I did not know this until this day. I feel remiss, not only as a Gilmore Girls fan, but as a researcher. So we know that Sally Struthers, who plays Babette, was Gloria in All in the Family. Everybody knows that. But Liz Torres was also a recurring character on All in the Family. Wait, what? Yeah! Hold on. Hold the front door. Hold the front door so that Babette can carry plants and turn her house into a jungle. But it means that Miss Patty and Babette, who are BFFs, in this show have known each other since the 70s oh that brings me so much joy well back inside the house rory just got off the phone with lane and informs lorelei that lane cannot go to the concert because she told her mom the truth that it was a concert and the thing is is that one episode ago literally in the last episode double date both Lane and Rory get in trouble for lying to Lorelai and Mrs. Kim. Lorelai makes a whole to-do about not lying to Mrs. Kim and the mom code and yada, yada, yada. But in this episode, Lorelai is totally encouraging Lane lie to Miss Kim. And she's saying, oh my God, I can't believe she didn't lie to Mrs. Kim. So stupid. I just feel like as a parent, that's not consistent. As a fellow mother, that's not consistent. I also don't think it's okay to take another person's 15, 16 year old daughter out of the state and not tell them what's really going on. Yeah, it might stem from Lorelai's emotionally torn between being in like the mental state of a teenager, but being faced with the real world responsibilities of being a mom so she might feel bad 
Miss Patty is inside and she picks up the hoodie that Lorelai bought and recognizes it. Suki and Patty realize it must have belonged to Rachel. Rachel is Luke's very serious ex-girlfriend. Travel photographer, great beauty, broke Luke's heart. And apparently Lorelai had no idea that Rachel existed, which at first I thought was weird, but then I realized when I looked at the timeline, it actually might make sense because they didn't move into that house until Laura, until Roy was a little bit older. So I know that she didn't really know Luke until a couple years ago. And we know that from future episodes when Luke and Lorelai talk about their timeline. So when I really, really think about it and dive deep, it actually does make sense that she might not have known that Rachel exists because nobody's allowed to talk about it. Luke doesn't want to talk about it. Luke doesn't want you to talk about it. So when I really looked at it, it did make sense. Well, Miss Patty is off because she has a two o'clock trampoline class. It's so much fun. I love her so much. Paris, Madeline, and Louise finally arrive in a very fancy 2001 BMW coupe convertible. Madeline could be a walking ad for the 2000s fashion in this scene. And I kind of love it. Her look reminds me of S Club 7. And if you know what I'm talking about, I like you. Let's be friends. Lorelai says, Sorry for the house of horrors. She's talking about how messy her house is, but she's referencing the 1946 film House of Horrors about a disfigured madman that goes on a murderous rampage. The film is regarded as a B-movie horror classic. They're getting ready to work and laying the ground for their project. Rory will do the conclusion and is trying to be chill. Madeline is trying on a scarf and will do the introductions. Louise will handle questions and is trying on a top hat. And Paris, le pitbull, will handle the debate and is already about to lose it. Vintage dear, filthy darling. Also, Paris always calls Madeline Madeline, but she's the only one and later stops doing that. So, but in this episode, she consistently calls her Madeline. So I don't know if it's because Paris feels like it's the proper way to say someone else's name, or maybe it is and nobody else pronounces it right, or maybe she's doing it on purpose because she's a bad bitch and Paris does whatever she wants. I kind of like the second thing. <laughs> I'm on board with the, I'm going through it out of pure spite and disdain. Because we're technically friends, but also I don't care for you. So I'm going to say your name incorrectly. Madeline talks about a vintage store near her therapist's office, which good job, Madeline. And how she found an original Poochie top for practically nothing. And Louise says, Poochie is very in right now. Poochie is an Italian fashion brand synonymous with bright geometric designs. And when Madeline says she found an original Poochie top, she means in a, in a vintage store, that means it would have been designed by Emilio Pucci himself, who passed away in 1992. Now, I was 15 and a sophomore in high school when this episode first aired. I had no idea what the hell they were talking about but looking up this designer and the kind of clothes it is uh -huh. makes a lot of sense 
that it would be the type of clothes that were popular in 2000 and 2001. And like I said, anyway, moving on. The conversation turns to Louise teasing Paris about Tristan and how they would love to have a boyfriend like Tristan, but would also love to have a boyfriend like Rory's boyfriend. Louise asks if they're still Joni Loves Chachi. Joni Loves Chachi was a spinoff show from the popular Happy Days sitcom starring Aaron Moran and Scott Baio. Rory's response might be because of how yuck the sentiment is or because how famously disastrous that show ended up being and she doesn't want her relationship compared to it. Then Louise asks Rory how long it's been and this has always bothered me because Rory says a month no it has not been a month there's no possible way it has been a month number one we know later Dean thinks that their relationship started on Rory's birthday because that's when he gave her the bracelet that was in October this should be at least January possibly February second if Rory wants to say that it's when they officially became boyfriend and girlfriend, we know for a fact that that, that was on December 9th because that was the date of the Chilton dance. It's not physically possible for it to have been only a month. And I just feel like with the amount of work and effort that goes into their scripts and all the detail that goes into this show, they couldn't have looked at two episodes ago to make sure that this line wouldn't bother me for the next 20 years <laughs> if it was a few episodes apart we might not have noticed what just happened oh. and was it when they first officially said the words boyfriend and girlfriend aloud but then they did so the continuity is a little wackadoo well louise finishes with so how good of a kisser is paul bunyan anyway louise madeline and rory giggle to the dismay of paris Louise is referencing Paul Bunyan, a giant lumberjack from American folklore. And I think Louise is probably saying that to mention Dean's tallness, which she also comments on when she meets Dean for the first time at the school dance. And Laura, I have a very important question to ask you. Yeah. Do you think glitter eyeshadow is trendy or trashy? I have very strong opinions on glitter eyeshadow as a burlesque performer. Um, I think glitter eyeshadow is trendy and here's why carrie fisher that's why <gasps> i don't need to hear any other explanation i i already agreed but now no one else can argue thank you i will not be taking questions i am so glad you attended my ted talk lorelei is upstairs altering all this mess of clothes that were donated which seems so extreme i i don't think anyone asked her to mend these clothes and she's just causing problems and work for herself but i do appreciate her mindset of reuse recycle at minute 18 and 31 seconds if you look right above lorelei's head while she's mending some of the clothes at her sewing machine you can see a mic accidentally dip into the camera frame oh no. and then quickly move back out <laughs> and there's so much stuff in their house i didn't even notice lorelei is so curious about this rachel person Suki tries to give her the scoop and says she liked to move around a lot. She was adventurous. She loved to climb things, fling herself off cliffs, dive into these really tiny lakes, ride big horses, fly planes. 
So she was Wonder Woman. Lorelai is referencing the superhero character Wonder Woman that we also talked about in episode eight, Love and War and Snow. So Suki's ready to leave. She walks out and says, see you later to Rory. The girls ask, oh, what's later? Rory tells them about the Bengal show at the fake Pastorella Pastorella Theater in New York. They cannot believe that Rory is actually friends and close with her mom. Her mom is 32, which means Lorelai had her when she was 16. That's right, 16. Everybody in this room is 16. If you don't like it, keep your legs closed. Oh, my God. At least, I mean, Paris, Paris knows her friends. That's for sure. I just love when they finally discover, like, they thought Rory was so boring but here she is, like, hanging out with her cool mom and going to concerts. And they, it's the first time they realize, like, she's a real human being with an actual personality, mm-hmm. which is really delightful. Paris slips and says, of course her mom regrets it. And Rory really sticks up for herself. She does not hold back. She tells Paris exactly how it is. And I really respect that in Rory. This is very telling for Rory as a character. Rory is a very quiet person. She's very meek. I know a lot of people, there's arguments about, oh, I can't believe that Rory ended up this way because blah, blah, blah. Rory has always been very quiet and meek. That's just who she is. However, she has always stuck up for herself and has always been a vocal advocate for other women as well. And we see that here in this episode, and we'll see that throughout the show in her character. Just then, Lorelai comes in. It's time to order the pizza. One with cheese, one without. Lorelai summons Rory into the kitchen and asks how it's going. Rory says it's going well, but don't get too excited because they basically just backed away from dumping the pig's blood on her. Rory is referencing the 1976 horror film Carrie, based on a novel by Stephen King, about a teenage girl who is severely bullied and is ultimately tricked into becoming the prom queen just so the bullies can dump pig's blood on her. After being publicly humiliated, uses her special powers to kill literally everybody. What I think is funny is the amount of scary stuff they've watched together. Because, like, they don't strike me as huge horror movie type of fans, but I know they love classic movies. But I think the fact that they're always together makes a difference because they seem like me, the kind of people who cannot watch a horror movie unless it's with another person for moral, moral support. Yeah, I don't think horror is probably their favorite, but even we're only in episode 13 of the show in the first season, and we've already referenced several horror things, The Shining, multiple times. I think they're definitely Stephen King fans, and I think that they're fans of vintage horror. Lorelai says, it kind of feels like you might be making some friends, or at least the potential to have friends. Lorelai sends Rory out with a cold pop-tart appetizer seriously lorelei first the crappy singles now cold pop-tart appetizer don't you have chips get it together anyway lorelei does something that if i were suki would piss me the fuck off lorelei decides to offer suki's bangles tickets to rory and her three frenemies can you not the thing is is that we know how this episode ends up so we know that it was a bad idea And I understand the argument that Suki specifically got those tickets to gift to Lorelai, but the the reality is is that Suki got them from her hard work and chose to give them to Lorelai. And Lorelai thanks her by giving them away. Anyway, Suki never seems upset about it. I think she 
is supportive. Suki doesn't seem to care. But, I mean, how do you feel about that? I would be real pissed. I don't care for children myself. <laughs> and if if you and I were going to a concert and I had I had done a really good job at work, like I had done, you know, a burlesque performance for somebody or a, a theater show or something, if they, they like paid me for my work or whatever, but they were like, we just loved having you so much. We wanted to do something special. Here are these tickets for you. The tickets are like in special acknowledgement of work Suki has done. It kind of seems like a dick move. Instead of saying, we'll spend money to bring two of your friends, they say, no, you guys go sit up there. All four of you go sit up in the nosebleeds. We'll sit down here in our seats. Like, But I guess it makes sense, because if there's... I would be upset. I can see why Lorelai did it, and why Suki was really nice about it, but I would have a talk with you later about it and say, I'm very displeased that you let these teenagers have my tickets without at the very least talking to me first. I'm glad I'm not the only one because I was I was seriously sitting here thinking, am I the asshole? No, Lorelai is the asshole. Well, anyway, Lorelai takes the lead and invites Paris, Madeline, and Louise to the show. And here we go. Buckle up. We are in the big NYC. Walk Like an Egyptian is playing. There's no way on earth that they could go into a show like this and get last minute seats. It's just, I've, I've, never, heard of, I've never heard of that. We live in an alternate universe in this show, so I guess. Now in this scene, Lorelai at, le- at least looks fun in, her out- in terms of her outfit. She has thankfully not decided to put on sequins, which is a nice change. But it does still look very 2000s. She has her hair parted down the middle. She's wearing that open uh, chest that design that was really popular back then. A furry coat. A coat with fur. And she has swapped out her baby blue eyeshadow for a bright baby green eyeshadow, which is back in fashion. And coincidentally, I just bought yesterday. Oh my God, who am I? What is happening? Well, Lorelai hands off the tickets to the four girls and says, you will be walking like an Egyptian, which again is the Bengal song currently playing in the background. We find out here that the Bengals was Lorelai's favorite band as a teenager, but she almost named Rory after Susanna, the lead singer. But interestingly, Rory's middle name is Lee, which is also Suzanne's middle name. They're just spelled differently. Well, the girls head down the aisle. The usher points to which aisle, Lord Grace? Mother flipping ninth row aisle, son of a god. Ninth row aisle. The usher is played by actor Lauren Lazarin. I bring him up because he is a Chicago resident and has been on popular shows, including Pushing Daisies and, of course, Chicago Fire, which is a show that literally every single actor that I know has been on. Lorelai and Suki head up to the nosebleed section. As the girls walk in below, I really love this moment from Madeline, just because Madeline is so real. And I've decided I really like Madeline as a character because she just is always 
confidently and unapologetically herself. And I think that deep down, Madeline is also a good person. I think that she makes really stupid decisions, but I think she's a good person. And I also love that she loves herself. She's kind of like Jess in that way, right? Because she has um, a lot of her own trauma triggers that are inflicted by her upbringing and she may not handle them well. I agree. And I feel like there's a time in, when she's in high school that she starts to get better. Yeah. And of, but then, of course, we know that when college hits, she goes back. <laughs> in my mind canon of Gilmore Girls, I've decided that Madeline has a really good life because I just see that for her. Yeah, I want the rom-com where she meets a guy who's like totally normal and she probably as a teen would have thought he was like so boring but then she realizes that like there's an authenticity in that that she needed there's for sure a happy ending for madeline and louise but like especially madeline and i don't have to have anybody tell me this but i guarantee louise became a sugar baby and just married an old guy and inherited all his money and i think that's i love that for her well the girls find their seats and lo and behold, they also find two boys. The boys actually noticed Rory staring at them first. And one of them says, check it out. We got fans. So let's talk about the boys, y'all. The boys are Sean and Jess. Sean is played by Glenn Dunk and only has five acting roles, according to IMDb, including Gilmore Girls. But Jess, everybody is played by actor Brandon Youth, a.k.a. Superman, a.k.a. Clark Kent in 2006 Superman Returns, a.k.a. Ray Palmer in several superhero-based shows, including Supergirl, The Flash, Batwoman, Arrow, DC's Legend of Tomorrow. I yeah. did not make that connection. Yeah, me neither wow. until I was like, what? But, but, but this is the best connection. And my favorite, the role I want to specifically mention is Brandon's role in Scott Pilgrim versus the Universe when he played Todd Ingram, a.k.a. Envy's boyfriend, who has vegan superpowers and is arrested by the vegan police. You once were a vegan, but now you will be gone. <laughs> That's a moment for me and any anyone out there who is a fan. But do you know that movie? Like, I, I don't know if you've seen that. I've read a little bit of um, the graphic novel, uh, but I haven't seen the movie. I It is on my very long watch list. I actually just watched it recently, and I think it holds up. The creepiest element of that movie that I feel like is the only thing that wouldn't hold up is the fact that at the beginning of the movie, the main character, Scott, is dating a 17-year-old, and he's 22. The whole premise is that Scott is a piece of shit. So yeah. that's why. Scott is a piece of shit, so of course he's going to date a 17-year-old. And also, he, they don't do anything sexual. That's the only thing that doesn't hit me right, but everything else in that movie is still perfect, including the scene, which I think is probably my favorite scene. And it also has Brie Larson. It's the first thing I personally ever saw Brie Larson in. I think it's cool that both Brie Larson and Brandon Youth became, like, in the superhero world when they were yeah. in this together. Yeah, that was... I got very excited when I realized that that was him. Because who ever talked about this one random guy in this random episode of Gilmore Girls before? Anyway, 
Paris knows exactly what's going on because Paris is very realistic and understands the world and understands her friends. She says, before it's dark, they'll have every picnic basket in Jellystone Park. Paris is referencing the Yogi Bear cartoon where Yogi the Bear spent all his time trying to steal picnic baskets from Jellystone National Park based on the real life Yellowstone National Park. Paris is comparing Yogi's obsession for stealing picnic baskets to Madeline and Louise's obsession with boys. Man, when you got a snack, you go on the attack. Lorelai and Suki are climbing up to the very top rows. Their row is literally second from the back wall. Suki says, ever seen Everest? Everest is a 1998 documentary film about the difficulties involved with climbing Mount Everest. Suki says, 1,000, okay, we're here, implying that they are in the 1,000th row of the theater. But since they are actually in the intimate Wilshire Ebel Theater in Los Angeles, they are actually in row 22. Do you think she was referring to the number of steps they had to climb? But even so, it was probably like two flights of stairs, which is not a thousand steps. I know, exactly. She also could have been just being sarcastic because they had to climb so many stairs. A thousand is just kind of like a thing you say where you're like, oh my God, it's like a thousand steps. Like it could have just been an exaggerated yeah. expression. Lorelai and Suki start cracking up because of how bad their seats are. Lorelai turns to the guys on the other side of her and says, don't you think this is funny? And a man with absolutely no sense of humor says, you know, I don't. (laughs) Well, no sense of humor guy is played by John Stevens. And John is actually a producer on Gilmore Girls. He left later in 2004 in order to be a producer on the OC, which is also connected to Gilmore Girls, but we won't talk about that yet. And then after the OC was a producer on Gossip Girl. Oh, no way. Okay. Well, everybody, the show is starting, and here come the bangles. Starting off with the song, The Hero Takes the Fall, the bangles are also all dressed in very 2000s rock star outfits, Next, they play the song Eternal Flame, which might be my favorite Bengal song. I feel like it's the song I grew up with the most. Rory and Paris are enjoying the show, like genuinely enjoying the show. Whereas Madeline Louise, they're enjoying the boys. During the song, Lorelai starts thinking about Rachel again and keeps drilling Suki for more information. So first of all, not only have you taken the seats away from Suki, now you're preventing her from joining the fucking show. Can we talk about the uh, significance that is the fact they're talking about Rachel during the song Eternal Flame and the significance of that? Ooh. And Suki also is probably picking up on those same vibes because Lorelai asks if Rachel was a Michelle Pfeiffer or a Catherine Zeta-Jones kind of pretty. Suki says that Rachel was an Elle McPherson type of pretty. But for those of you who don't know, Catherine Zeta-Jones is a Welsh actress. When this episode aired, she had really only recently become famous in recent roles that she had in Mask of Zorro, which came out in 1998, Entrapment, and Traffic. Michelle Pfeiffer, 
who would have been more famous for longer because Michelle Pfeiffer is an American actress who gained stardom with Scarface and then The Witches of Eastwick and then Dangerous Liaisons, Dangerous Minds, and of course, Catwoman in Batman Returns, which is the best Batman movie in my opinion. And don't at me, people. That movie is a surrealist masterpiece and I will not hear anything to the contrary. Wow, that's awkward. Just the Catwoman scene alone. You can't okay. look at it. You can't look at that movie and think, wow, this movie is like, has really good cinematography and really great lines. You have to look at it like you would look at a Picasso. Elle McPherson, she's an Australian supermodel. She became really popular in the 1980s for the girl next door image. But then, of course, also became famous and known as the body because of her incredible figure. So she became a very famous supermodel. Going back to what you said, Lorelai says, wow, I cannot picture that. And Suki drags Lorelai by saying, oh, why didn't you picture him with a Lorelai Gilmore kind of pretty? Because she knows. Because she's known since day one. Literally everybody knows. Rory knows. Suki knows. Emily knows. Emily has already commented on it. She's literally the last person to realize it. Back down in ninth row aisle. Oh. Louise... <laughs> Louise informs Paris and Rory that the boys, Sean and Jess, invited them to a party around the corner. Rory is really good about standing her ground and is like, hey, you're a fucking idiot. We're not going anywhere. Are you insane? We're at a concert in New York City. We don't know them. They're literally strange men. We have to meet my mom. What are you thinking? The answer is no. Louise tries to make Rory feel bad by calling her a good little girl. Madeline, of course, like we said, she's always perky positive. She says, we'll totally be back. Like, don't worry. It'll be fine. But of course, it is not fine. So you and I got to know each other through being fans of this podcast, My Favorite Murder, where the slogan is SSGGM, stay sexy and don't get murdered. You know what happens when you leave concerts in a strange city with strange boys that you've never met? Murder. That's what happened. Exactly. Madeline says they'll be in the building at the corner of Waverly and First. Waverly Place is a street in Greenwich Village, Manhattan, near New York University. However, I checked a map of Greenwich Village, Manhattan, and there is no point in which Waverly Place crosses with First Avenue. I did not know. Also, I'm not trying to war with New York City. I have literally only been to New York once, and it was for less than 24 hours. But I do live in Chicago, and Chicago does have a very famous street grid because everything is square and perfectly designed because we just happened to be the city of architects and city engineers in the 1800s and it was designed this way. So when I was looking at this map of Greenwich Village, I thought I was going to have a seizure because those streets are crazy. <laughs> That's really funny. I mean, I highly recommend everyone who is not familiar look at this section of like around Washington Square Park. And I think it's because I'm just so spoiled because I live in Chicago and y you know that our blocks yeah. are on a grid. If you'll go east, eventually you'll hit the lake and you can find your way from there. Exactly. And if you yeah. go west, you'll find an airport. 
and rednecks. I looked at this map. I mean, there's diagonals, streets that end and then start up again later. It is horrifying. But also I know that New York City is a lot older of a city than Chicago. So I can forgive it a little bit. Uh, but it also made me think of John Mulaney because <laughs> he does that bit about getting lost in New York. The streets are numbered. Well, you know what? Your numbered streets will start and then stop and then start up again later. So it's not really a good excuse. So anyway, enough ranting about New York City streets. The girls take off. The concert ends. Rory and Paris wait outside for Suki and Lorelai. And while they wait, Rory asks Paris what on earth she sees in Tristan. We realize here that Paris and Tristan kind of have a long history. They've known each other forever. They've been going to the same school, have had the same classes. They have very similar family situations, both good and bad. Paris knows that Tristan is using her. I imagine that since Paris gets absolutely no attention outside of academia, she appreciates any attention that she gets. Yeah. Which is really sad. It's so sad. And I, I talk about that at the end of this episode as well. Well, finally, Lorelai and Suki arrive with shirts in hand. And Lorelai throws them and says, I'm the good witch of the hay. Lorelai is referencing the film Wizard of Oz, which we also discussed in episode 10. Rory tells them about Madeline and Louise leaving. And Lorelai wastes no time springing into action. They run out and go over to the building, which Madeline mentioned before. And speaking of which, right before, we get a quick shot of the building exterior. And that building actually is in New York, but is at 29 Bedford Street in Greenwich Village, but about six blocks away from Waverly. All right. (laughs) Well, they're inside the building. Lorelai starts knocking on every single door in the apartment. The first one is a woman who I want to be my best friend because she doesn't talk to know anybody because people annoy her. Girl, I feel the exact same uh, way. It's just those iconic little one-liners that Amy Sherman-Palladino does so well. She'll just throw in there and I'm like, that woman is such a gem and no one remembers her name, but we remember her attitude. It's just iconic. Well, even better. Why don't we talk about that lady? That lady is played by actress Cleo King, and she is fucking amazing. She's been in so much stuff. She's been acting since the 80s, including recurring roles on Boston Public, Deadwood, and Sons of Anarchy. But I'm specifically going to shout out one role because I always thought she looked familiar, but I never bothered looking it up. And so I finally looked it up, and y'all, she plays... Sergeant Dorado on New Girl in the episode Background Check when Winston is becoming a cop and Jess thinks she found a bag of meth in her closet, but it turned out to be aquarium rocks. Yes. Oh, my God. I knew I remembered her from something else. Aquarium rocks. And she's like, she was on the uh, Netflix series of Unfortunate Events show, too, I think. She was. Thank you for bringing that up, actually. Oh, my gosh. I forgot to write that down. So she was in the Netflix Unfortunate Events. And then someone else in this episode was in the movie with Jim Carrey. But now I I didn't write it down. So now I forget which one it was. I think it might have been Miss Caldecott. Uh, Deborah Theaker, where are you? Uh, Mrs. Poe. So it's interesting because Miss Caldecott played the same role in the Jim Carrey movie 
that Cleo King played in the Netflix show. What? What a small world. They both played the same part. How crazy is that? Well, moving on to the next door, she found him with the blonde. No one. Dog bark. And then finally, they hear party music. So they know they're on the right track. And the party music playing is I'm Gonna Make You Love Me by the Jayhawks and is the only music in this episode that is not the Bengals. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, and it's pretty rare for Gilmore Girls episode, too. They knock on the door and Superman answers. They find a college-age oh, party. Superman. <laughs> they find a college-age party with underage Madeline and Louise drinking and get them the fuck out of there. This is one of my favorite Lorelai moments. It's a really good adult mom moment for Lorelai. Not only does she get very real with the guy, with Superman, but she gets really real with Madeline Louise. And just like we talked about, she tells it, she tells it to them straight. And it really feels like the girls are listening to her. And I think it's because of the way Lorelai has talked to them. And I think it's because of her age and like her demeanor as well. Yeah. And I think it's the first time that anybody's ever really talked to Madeline and Louise like that. And it was at a time in their life when they needed it the most. Like they needed someone to, to yell at them and like show them that they were worth more than the situations they were getting themselves into. I agree. She tells them about how dangerous it is to go off with men that you don't know, drink things that you don't know what's in them, and pretend like you have a clue when you don't. And like you said, I think it's really sad because I don't think anyone else has ever told these girls that. Because I don't think they have anyone in their life who's paying attention to them enough to care what they do. Yeah. And they're taking whatever attention they could get, even if it's in an unsafe situation. Paris, however says this is the best night she's ever had. And Which I love. I love this moment for Paris. I love it too, but it's also sad because you know that it's true because I also believe that no one gives a shit about Paris and Paris's life. Yeah, I know it's really sad, but I'm also like, the reason it makes me happy is because of what I was talking about earlier. Like, I know this character was written specifically for Eliza Weil, and I've always felt that, like, Paris is that person who originally, like, makes Rory realize that she's not giving herself enough credit and that she's capable of doing more and that she can challenge herself. And this is kind of when Paris realizes that Rory can challenge herself, too, and the attention that she's been getting from kind of, like, sycophantic Madeline and Louise is not attention that does anything for her. It just brings me so much joy that Paris finally gets to experience that. Well, it's the next day. They're at the official rummage sale. It has begun. I am curious how they got all that stuff to the town square, though, because they definitely didn't do it last night because they were at the concert. Anyway, not my problem. Did they make Luke do it? I bet they made Luke (laughs) do it with his truck. Rory is telling Lane all about what happened. Now, I cannot believe I have to explain this, but the truth is it's possible listeners out there are young enough to not understand the reference I'm about to talk about. Do it. Do it. Lane says, forget about the concert. I wanted to see Lorelai pull those idiots out of the guy's apartment. Rory says, it definitely was a Kodak moment. 
Now we all have our, our smartphones and so we no longer have the use of having to carry cameras to special events or anywhere we go. But that was not true when this episode came out or when I was growing up. Kodak is a company that produces photography products and film. And if you had a camera in the 20th century, it most likely had Kodak film in it. And I can attest that almost all of my childhood and family photos are from Kodak film. Kodak's marketing tagline is a Kodak moment, meaning you take a picture and you can treasure that moment forever. That has passed into everyday slang to mean a very special moment worthy of being captured by a photograph. Kodak Moments is now the name of the photo app for smartphones. Wait, is it really? Mm -hmm. I even looked it up to make sure. Whoa. So you can download Kodak Moment. That's so cool. I used to go on a bunch of road trips as a kid because we had a really big family and it was a really easy way to get us all out of the house. And all of my photos that I took before we would go on any road trip, I would get like two or three Kodak disposable cameras. There was only like 20 pictures on each of them, but I'd take so many pictures. So I had like little photo albums back at my parents' house full of like a whole bunch of like Kodak disposable photos of like all these hikes I did as a kid. Like, look at this pretty tree. There's a flower on the ground. Look at these Kodak moments. Same. I was using Kodak disposables up until that end of college because the iPhone that we know today did not come out until I was like a junior in college. Uh, then you'd like click it and you'd have to like wind the little Yep. <laughs> and then you knew it was out of film when it you just wound it and it didn't click. So you're like, oh, I guess I ran out of pictures. Got to get a new one. Well, Lorelai runs up late because once again, Lorelai has no idea how alarm clocks work and how to respond to them like a responsible adult human being and is once again blaming Rory for not waking up on time, leaving the responsibility to her 16-year-old teenage daughter, Lorelai. Except for that one nightmare she had where her literally her entire house was filled with alarm clocks. Exactly. I think that is genuinely Lorelai's nightmare is alarm clocks. Well, Lane is going to go get a soda. Do you want anything? Rory wants gum. Lorelai wants the night of her 14th birthday back so she can talk her out of wearing the green hot pant roller disco outfit. What even? I need a photo of that outfit. Oh, we're going to find it. I'm on it. I'm so on it. Lorelai asks Rory if she's heard anything from the Chilton crew. Lorelai says, you know, I had to do it. It was the right thing to do. She knows that it may have made it harder for Rory. She does regret that part, but of course we all understand and agree Lorelai was completely in the right during that situation. And Rory understands, and she tells Lorelai that it's okay because Paris offered her some of the debate time, which to Paris is like the spitting-in-your-hand friendship handshake. Now, the one movie I can think of that I know references the spitting-in-the-hand handshake is, of course... Newsies. Oh, you're right. They do that a lot in Newsies, don't they? That's the whole thing. Like, that's how they make deals. I feel like, do they do that in Annie? I feel like there's a spitting in the hand in Little Orphan Annie. Shake on it. <laughs> that's the thing is that in all these scenarios, I think of it as like turn of the century street commitments. Well, Lorelai sees Luke and walks over. Luke scored some sushi magnets for five cents, which I'm super jealous because I would love that. Yeah, that sounds cute. 
Luke apologizes right away off the bat for being a jerk, which again, I mean, we talked about that. We know that Luke is genuinely sorry. And I I really do believe that about Luke. But does it excuse him making someone else feel bad? You know, the genuine apology and actionable change is an acceptable step in a good direction. Exactly. The thing about saying I'm sorry is that I'm sorry doesn't matter if it isn't followed up with changed behavior. Yeah. Lorelai apologizes herself for not understanding what the sweatshirt meant and being sensitive to it and offers to give it back to him. Luke wants to make sure Lorelai knows he's not pining. He's remembering, not pining. It's a memento, like restaurant matches. I can see the resemblance. And there the episode ends. And it's kind of nice to get a Gilmore Girls episode that doesn't end super depressingly because it's been a while since that's happened. So that's it for Concert Interruptus. So overall, what do you think of this episode? Do you like this episode? I do, uh, particularly because I, one of the things I love about this show is like the growth of the characters and how Amy Sherman Palladino kind of gives each of them such an important arc. And I think this kind of a catalyst for a lot of relationship beginnings, because it's the first time that Lorelai uses kind of language out loud that implies that Maybe she has considered the possibility of her and Luke. Like, she exhibits feelings of jealousy towards Rachel, and it kind of shows, you know, Suki already has known that, and so it touches on the theme of how Lorelai may not know herself as well as she thinks, and the whole dynamic of Harris and Rory realizing that maybe, just maybe, they're not as different as they thought. And Paris is one of my favorite characters, too. So I think this episode, while halfway through the season, is... one of the most important ones in the season for a lot of relationship beginnings. Diving deeper into this episode made me realize that I actually really like this episode. And I feel like in the past, I've skipped over it a lot for more obviously favorites like Love and War and Snow or like later in the season or honestly, season one altogether has never really been my favorite. But I really genuinely like this episode. So yeah, I'm so glad we got to talk about it today. So let's move over to the arts and entertainment shelf. Do 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 do. Now it's time for the arts and entertainment shelf. In this segment, we talk about the movies, TV, music, and books featured and referenced in each episode. In this episode, the movies referenced are Everest, Wizard of Oz, Carrie, and House of Horrors. So, Laura Grace, are you familiar with any specific of these movies or all of these movies? Everest, Wizard of Oz, Carrie, House of Horrors? Uh, I've seen 50% of them. I've seen Carrie many moons ago. But again, I don't I don't watch a lot of horror because I'm a big scaredy cat. Uh, but I've seen The Wizard of Oz many, many times. The ensuing musical Wicked was a huge part of my theatrical upbringing, too. So huge fan of Wizard of Oz. Yeah, same. I definitely grew up watching Wizard of Oz. I haven't seen it in a long time. Carrie is another one. And I I said this a few times because they do bring up horror movies a lot. I cannot watch horror movies as an adult. I don't really consider Carrie that much of a horror movie as much as I consider it a teen drama. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, Because it's not about like ghosts or monsters or anything. It's literally about a power that comes inside a person who's been bullied. And uh, I can relate. 
Uh, I wasn't bullied that bad, but I was bullied enough to really like the idea of being able to seek revenge on my bullies. So it is something I did watch a lot growing up, but again, it's another movie I haven't seen in such a long time. Uh, And I don't really feel the need to see it again simply because it's another one that is very popular in pop culture. So it's it's not like I've forgotten anything. I I remember everything. Trust me. Everest and House of Horrors, never heard of them. And like, you'll understand this. The first time I've ever heard anything about Mount Everest is the episode of My Favorite Murder when they talk about all the deaths of Mount Everest. And it was fascinating. That was a fascinating episode because I had no idea... And House of Horrors, I've never heard of. It's I've definitely watched a few vintage scary movies, but I've never heard of that one. So moving on to TV, the TV mentioned in this episode is Joni Loves Chachi, The Yogi Bear Show, and Star Trek. Now, I've talked about Star Trek before because it's it's been referenced, I think, more than once in this show so far. And so I've talked about how when I was young, in the 90s, Star Trek was not cool. Like, you might have liked Star Trek in the 90s, but in society, this was pre-nerd chic culture. Uh-huh. And Star Trek was the standard creepy comic book nerd guy thing. Yeah. You were not cool if you liked Star Trek. But now you are. And I talked about how, like, you know that it's cool now to like Star Trek because Chris Pine was in a Star Trek movie. So now you know it's cool. But when I was watching Star Trek in the 90s, first of all, I wasn't. My mom was. And that was another part because she was watching Star Trek from the 70s and 80s. And I was like, eh, that's for old people. That's for nerd stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I I have never watched Star Trek in my entire life. Not because of a, a generational gap, but just because by the time I got around to kind of embracing my inner nerd self, I mean, Star Trek was already such a huge thing, had such a huge following and fandom. It's the same reason I've never watched, like, Doctor Who. Because don't at me, okay? No, it's not too late. Don't be afraid. There's just this immense amount of pressure starting to watch a show like that. And there's so much of it that it's really overwhelming. And I'm sure I could get into it if I really tried, but I just, I had never watched it. So I never really thought of Lorelai and Rory as Star Trek watchers. I think it's interesting that they, that they have, but I also know that like Star Trek is a really beautiful, important uh, universe and cinematic, not only cinematically, but like as far as like humanitarian. Mm -hmm. It was produced by Lucille Ball. And that was a big thing because it was, it was important that like a female human woman person owned the studio and produced this show and featured really important black characters. Well, so what about Joni Loves Chachi and the Yogi Bear Show? So the Yogi Bear Show, I actually have watched. Joni and Chachi I know about, but I never I never really watched it all that much other than like occasional reruns at my grandparents' house. Uh, Yogi Bear I have watched because when I was, my dad was super into Yogi Bear because he grew up in kind of a rural town and spent a lot of time outdoors and he was a Boy Scout and I was a Girl Scout and so vintage cartoons were like a huge part of my upbringing and I used to love old silly cartoons. I actually have seen a fair amount of Yogi Bear cartoons funnily enough. I love that. I remember watching Yogi Bear cartoons. I don't know that I watched specifically the Yogi Bear show and I remember Yogi Bear also being in advertisements for things like cereal and candy and things like that as a kid. So 
Um, like, obviously, I know who Yogi Bear was because it was just something around. But honestly, Yogi Bear is not around in culture anymore. Um, and yeah, and I also feel the same way about Joni Loves Chachi. I remember it being on Nick at Night, but I never watched it. I did watch Happy Days growing up a lot, but never watched Joni Loves Chachi. Although I know what they're talking about. Like, I remember those characters in Happy Days. I just don't remember them from the show. Johnny Loves Chachi. Well, the books in this show, really not many. The loosely referenced book slash television cartoon short, The Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Again, very loosely referenced. And then the only other book or author referenced in this episode is Shakespeare when Rory was referencing Macbeth. And I'm not going to go into Shakespeare because we talked so much about Shakespeare in the Deer Hunters episode. So if you want to learn and talk about Shakespeare, listen to episode four, The Deer Hunters. So last on our list is music. And of course, in this episode, the music referenced is I'm Gonna Make You Love Me by the Jayhawks and the Bangles. And if you didn't know that, then I don't know what episode you were watching because it was this, that's what this episode is about is the bangles. But I highly recommend if you're not familiar with the bangles to start checking out the bangles because their music is still good. It's still bopping. I love an all girl rock band. There's nothing bad. They didn't turn into Nazis that I know of or abuse anybody that I know of. So if I'm wrong. Yeah, it's. Eternal flame will never not slap. Uh, That's it for us. That is the last thing on our shelf. And that is the end of our episode for Concert Interruptus. Lori Grace, I want to thank you again so much for being on my show today. And I hope everyone has a beautiful week ahead. Stay safe. Get your vaccines. Be kind to each other. And I'll see you next time. Hey, all my gorgeous listeners out there. I just wanted to pop in and leave a quick note and update for you. As things are changing and the world is opening back up, my schedule and lifestyle are also drastically changing. I have to reorganize some things to make sure I can still fit this podcast into my life. And while I do that, please stop by the Instagram at at starshollowpod, Leave me a message, send me a quick note, like and subscribe. I'd love to hear from you. Anything you have to say, I love hearing from you, all of you. Make sure to keep listening and subscribing on the podcast. Whatever you like, Google, Spotify, Apple, like and subscribe and review so that I can reach even more people who would love to hear about the details of Gilmore Girls. If you'd like to do more, make sure to visit the Patreon. The link is in the Instagram bio, and I'd love to hear all of your ideas and see your support so I can make this the best podcast possible. I hope to see all of you soon when I return. Remember to stay safe, get vaccinated, and be kind. You want to do a sing-along with me right now? Oh my god, can we? Close your eyes. Give me your hand, darling. Do you feel my heart beating? 
Do you understand? Do you feel the same? Am I only dreaming? Is this burden an eternal flame? Beautiful. It's so cheesy. I love it so much. Oh, it's such a good song. I don't care.